Welcome to episode 105 of the Inspiration to Grow podcast, the best place on the internet to uplevel your mindset, health, and wellness all in one place. My name is Lisa Oberbichler, your host, life coach, and personal growth strategist. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the intersection between physical and mental health and how the two are interconnected. My aim is to provide a platform for meaningful conversations about building and maintaining a healthy lifestyle and how to create a positive mindset to help you achieve your goals. And if you're ready to up your health, wellness, and fitness game, then you are definitely in the right place. And one very important message or theme of this show is you're never too old, you're not too busy, and you're not too out of shape. And you know what? It's never too late to focus on up-leveling your fitness and nutrition habits. So let's enjoy this amazing ride we are all on together called life and start making the changes we want for ourselves. On today's show, I'm talking with a rock star, Jordana Sade, a holistic nutritionist, hypnotherapist, and founder of the Mindful Clinic. Jordana lives and works out of Oakville, Ontario, but serves women from around the world with her programs and services. She has a PhD in behavioral psychology and truly believes that by overcoming behaviors of self-sabotage, we can develop a healthy relationship with ourselves and with the number one thing keeping us alive, namely food. So stay tuned for an amazing conversation with a wickedly smart fellow Canadian, Jordana Sade. Jordana, I was in your workshop and I heard your backstory and I would just like to ask you to share it with all my listeners. It's such a great lead up to why you chose the career path you did. And of course, a warm welcome to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. First of all, just thank you so much for having me. It is such an honor to be here and also for attending my workshop. Like that is, that's <laughs> adorable. I would that at all. So thank you so much. Um, yeah, so my story is quite a unique one. And I'm happy to definitely kind of start at the beginning with you guys, because that is where it all started for me. So really, as a young child, I was obese, and I was the only obese kid in school. So this was like a very different time where obesity rates were quite low. And it, I really stood out like a sore thumb. And I was bullied a lot and made fun of for this, of course. You know, kids are mean. And when I was eight years old, I really, um, I really just didn't want to be different anymore. And so my mom is an Italian chef and she, like her love language is just food. And I know people say that about their, their moms, but like nobody really understands until you've met my mom because she cooks for the whole town. Like people come from all over to eat her food. And it's like a 24 hour bus our house. There's like seven different types of pasta made at all times. And so I was already, you know, kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. I was already um, overweight as a child. And because of all the bullying, I really just needed a coping mechanism. And so that just actually furthered my relationship to food where I really started to eat for emotional comfort um, mm -hmm. versus, you know, just like eating to survive. Like I would see some of my friends who can just like 
eat to live or like live to eat instead of eat to live. Um, so anyways, I realized quite early on that, you know, food was a big problem uh, for my weight and I didn't want to be different. So when I was eight years old, I went on my first diet and I didn't really know what dieting looked like. Like nobody took me to a dieting clinic or anything. I just knew that the more I ate, the heavier I would be. And so what I did was I just stopped eating altogether. So my mom would pack me a lunch. I would throw my, throw out my lunch at school and I would come home and say my stomach hurt or whatever it was. And I lost quite a bit of weight at this time. And, you know, the thing is, is I received a lot of validation for it. So my parents were like, oh my gosh, now we can see your beautiful face. And the cutest boy in school started talking to me. And all of a sudden I had all of these friends. And it really just taught me that at a young age, you know, being thin meant I was lovable and being overweight meant I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And so this spiraled into decades of disordered eating because eventually like you have to eat or you die. Right. And mm -hmm. so I would be terrified of food and I would just go in and out of these like binge and restrict cycles. And eventually when I was in high school, I um, started using substances, which was another coping mechanism of mine. But what I noticed was that these substances were also keeping my weight quite low. And so I was in my last year of high school, I was accepted to go to university. I'm from Canada. So I go to university in Montreal and um, in Montreal, it's like a very vibrant city and there's a lot of partying there. And so I really just lost myself to addiction. So I became a very severe cocaine addict. And um, part of the motivation there was because doing cocaine really kept my weight quite low. And so when I was 21, 22, 21, I mean, 2021, I got kicked out of school because obviously I wasn't going and my parents made me move back home and I didn't really have access to cocaine anymore. So I started drinking a lot and I was back in the house where all of the food lives. And so I noticed my relationship to food. I started using food like an addiction again. And um, the beautiful thing is at this time in my life, I was 21 at this point, I got pregnant. And that baby just saved my life because I could no longer use any of the substances that I had been. Um, however, in the pregnancy, food really became quite an issue where I was using food in a very addictive way. I never felt full. And it wasn't just because I was carrying a child. It was like this continual, truly like insatiable hunger. And so when I had my son, I vowed really just to get down to the bottom of my eating disorder. I was like, I don't want to pass this on. And so when he was nine months old, I went back to school and I became a nutritionist and I graduated as valedictorian with first class honors, um, which was a huge accomplishment to me. And, you know, I learned a lot about the body. Like I learned about how um, you know, we reverse metabolism disorders and I learned about like what's healthy and what's not and chronic conditions. And I was hired right out of school to work with a medical doctor. So him and I built this beautiful obesity clinic and we saw like over 600 patients. And I just, I saw myself in those patients because I would hand out meal plan after meal plan. And at the end of the day, Lisa, like nobody wakes up and says, I want to be fat. It's, it's just not a choice, right? right? And so I would be handing out all of these meal plans and like people are not losing weight. Like we know that an apple is healthier than a chocolate bar, 
but we choose the chocolate bar anyways. <laughs> and so, yes, <laughs> you know, like it's like, and if you have a goal of weight loss, but you continually choose the chocolate bar, like what is going on here? And so I like knew I had to kind of do further learning here. So I became obsessed with understanding the motivation behind why people eat. So I went back to school um, to study again, to do behavioral psychology and um, neuroscience and um, eventually pursue a master's and PhD, which I am currently always in the process of. Um, but it really just opened my eyes to this kind of like brain behavior activity and really understanding that more often than not, our motivation to eat comes from a very different place for some people um, that is not driven by survival needs and more so driven by emotions or um, in, as a coping mechanism. And once I kind of like understood this process, first of all, I was able to heal myself, which was in incredible. And now that's what I do with others. So I really work um, with food psychology and I help people understand and um, neutralize the relationship to food so they're not self-sabotaging or overeating. Well, huge congratulations for turning your life around. And it was that pivotal moment of being pregnant and just wanting to send a different message to your child and heal your own uh, feelings around food and um, eating, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, but, and, and, and I mean, now you're helping so many others just understand what drives them to eat. Yeah. As you said, even though we are fully aware uh, that the apple is healthier than bag of chips or that chocolate bar or whatever but okay so let's get into the questions because I have some <laughs> really juicy ones uh, and, and I know the messages that you share with us are going to be invaluable for our listeners so uh, the first one was you know I feel there is or there there has always been a stigma surrounding weight loss deep yeah. down deep down people both men and women want to be thinner, trimmer, slimmer, sexier, and, and, and lose that weight, but they don't outrightly admit it. How can we empower people to stand more behind their weight loss desires? Yeah, and I would even actually go as far to say as especially with this whole like body positivity movement and how inclusive the world has become. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Like I'm so, it's so nice to see us kind of going in this direction, but especially when it comes to the stigma around weight loss, um, I actually kind of like to reframe that in a way where it's not necessarily about like, oh, I want to be thin or I want to lose weight. It's really about like, I want to be like the healthiest, true, like the truest, healthiest version of me. Right. Mm -hmm. And and the reality is if the body is holding on to weight, especially, and I'm not talking five to 10 pounds, I'm talking like 20, 50 plus pounds, right? Like the body's holding on to that much weight. Like it is not healthy for the body to do that. It's not adaptive. Your body in any single instant is creating all of these like molecular chemical reactions just to keep you alive. Like it is designed to balance. It is designed to maintain homeostasis. And so if it's holding on to weight, there are imbalances. Like there is something going on here. And those imbalances can really happen in the nervous system with like our eating behaviors, our emotions, our um, mental health, et cetera. But it can also um, manifest within imbalances in the body. So, you know, like metabolism issues or thyroid conditions or autoimmune conditions and, and that 
that type of thing. And so I, I totally understand, like we all want to be super fit and healthy and whatever. Um, and it doesn't need to be this like really negative thing where it's like, oh, I need to be like so unbelievably skinny and look like the Victoria's Secret models. But I do think it's very healthy to want to be the healthiest version of yourself. And that's going to look differently for everybody. And I think that when we can take the kind of like restriction and punishment out of weight loss and turn it into like loving yourself so much you treat yourself well type of mentality. Yes. Yes. That's a a stigma. Right. Right. That's a perfect reframe. Right. So it's not about punishment and restriction. It's about, uh, I'm kind of honoring my body and the health journey that I'm on. Yeah. And like, and true, like, I don't, do you have any pets, Lisa? Yes. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and do you like okay, love and do you like love your dog? Yes, yes. Right? Like you love your dog so much, like unconditionally. Would you ever like intentionally harm the dog or like sabotage the dog? No, of course not. Right. And so I think that like when we look at this from a place of I want to truly love myself so unconditionally that like it's just easy to treat myself well versus like, oh, my gosh, I have to restrict. I can't eat cake because like I've been bad or cake is bad. Like it's a very different energy um, mm-hmm. and you're going to reach a different result in that way as well. Yes, yes, yes. I, I love that reframe. Right. Um what advice would you give someone who desperately wants to begin now? I'm not even going to call it a weight loss journey. Now I'm going to say, um, um, a health journey, a new health journey, but they feel like they lack motivation and self-confidence. Yeah. Well, I, it's so funny. Cause it's like, Oh, when I lose the weight, I'll be confident. But like, uh, uh-uh, that's backwards. It's like, you have to be confident to lose the weight. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Of course. Right. And so when we talk about motivation, like, of course we cannot rely on motivation. Like motivation comes from the limbic part of the nervous system. That's where all of our emotions are stored. And even through all of the work that I've done on my nervous system and regulation, like I'm still like up and down as most of us are. Right. And so we really can't rely on this like motivation part, especially because the reality is like, we are all so busy. My main people that I work with are like really busy moms, right? And so like, if you wait for when you feel motivated to go to the gym, it's just never gonna happen. Um, And so, and the lack of motivation and the lack of confidence really comes from, you know, telling yourself you're gonna do something and not following through. And that relationship to yourself is the most important relationship. In my practice, I call this the conflict contract where when I meet somebody, when I meet a new potential client, they're like, oh, I just don't have any motivation. I just don't have any discipline. Like when in reality, it's just that you just don't trust yourself, you know? Because Mm -hmm. if you keep making a promise to yourself, like I'm starting on Monday, I'm gonna go to the gym, I'm gonna stop eating this, I'm gonna stop eating that. And you keep like breaking that promise you lose trust with yourself. And if you can't trust yourself, you can't trust anyone. Right. right? And so that like all confidence really is, is just your reputation with yourself. And so I would say, if you want to start this health journey, like all you have to do is make and keep small daily promises to yourself. Like it's not about like, all right, I'm going to start going to spin class at 6am every like seven days a week. Like that's never, ever going to work. It's just going to lower your confidence even more. But like, let's say you're having like a coffee in the morning with two milks and two sugars, like, can we make it one milk, one sugar for a whole week and see how that feels? And the more that we can like make and keep these small, small, small micro promises to ourselves, the more your confidence is going to build. And then it's just going to be easier going to be able to tackle the bigger things. Yeah, exactly. So you've, you've kind of answered my next question because I said, you know, how do we shift our mindset in regard to 
weight loss and increasing our self-confidence. And you just gave us a few good examples of setting just or, or adjusting maybe small habits in your everyday, keeping those promises to yourself. Yeah. And that is the driver of that inner self-confidence that we need to build up in order to carry us through. Or could you, could you add anything more to that? Yeah. Like I would just say that like your reputation with yourself is Mm -hmm. literally the most important thing. And so you either need to get behind the behavior or you need to not do it. You know, like when I am eating chocolate or whatever it is, like, I'm not like, "Uh Oh, I shouldn't be eating this. And if that's the vibe that you have going on right now, like that's never going to work because then what you're really telling yourself is like, this is bad. I'm a failure, et cetera. But so you either have to get behind the behavior. Oh my gosh, I'm so grateful that I can have like a little bit of chocolate and it not completely derail me. Get behind the behavior or don't do it at all. Because if you do it and you can't get behind it, we've got a big problem. Right. Okay. So those are two good mindset tips. Either you do it and enjoy it or you don't do it at all. Yeah. Mm, Great. Great. No, that's powerful. But so I know one of you, one of the, um, big messages that you send out is this idea of self-sabotage, which I I think we can all relate to. But uh, if we talk about self-sabotage for a moment and how this plays into our behavior uh, around the uh, healthy habits that we would like to form. So why is it that most of us know what we need to do or what is actually best for us, yet we do the opposite? Yeah. Great question. And there's actually, there's so like, well, not so many, there's a handful of reasons why this can happen. Um, One huge one is that your daily behaviors match your deepest beliefs about yourself, not your goals and your dreams. So the goal is like, I want to lose weight. I want to be rich. I want to finally start going to the gym, whatever it is for you. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But you feel like crap about yourself. Like you're not going to be able, like your behaviors are going to match how you feel about yourself not what you want to achieve. The brain is not wired for success. It's wired for safety. So like when we have these things that like make us feel really successful, like we cannot engage in those behaviors if they're, if we keep telling ourselves like not good enough, I'm a failure, et cetera. Right. So self-sabotage and it like really relates to your identity. And it kind of goes back to that thing when I was saying with the chocolate, like if you're eating the chocolate and you're like, oh, or like you look in the mirror, let's say, and you're like, oh my gosh, I gained so much weight. That doesn't make you want to, like, you would think that would make you want to go to the gym, right? But that Mm -hmm. actually doesn't drive that behavior. It actually drives more self, like self-sabotaging behavior because your behavior is going to match how you think about yourself, not what you want. And so, and like on that one hand, self-sabotage is really just like your behaviors matching your identity. So you would want to look at like, what am I telling myself? Like, what's my narrative? What does the inner bully say? Um, Do I speak to myself nicely? And then the other part of self-sabotage is really um, that it's a coping mechanism more often than not. Um, And because of the way that the brain is wired, where we have like so many different parts of the brain, like we have the animal brain and the primitive brain, and then we have the prefrontal cortex, which is like our executive functioning or like the subconscious mind and the conscious mind. When we have um, high stress, if we've already developed a coping mechanism, anything that like triggers that stress response, like our prefrontal cortex, where our executive functioning is going to be, like where impulse control is, is just shot right down. 
So like you're going to drive these self-sabotaging behaviors. You're not really going to be able to control that impulse. And that's how addiction actually works, right? Nobody, no addict is like, I want to ruin my life. Like, let me just like spend all of my money and like break my family apart. Like that's not a conscious thing that people want, but they do it anyways. And that's because the brain is constantly trying to seek um, regulation. And if you have developed a pattern or a habit where you're using like a substance, whether that be like drugs or alcohol or food um, as a coping mechanism, when something doesn't feel right or you feel that dysregulation, the brain is going to immediately go towards that coping mechanism. And then there's like the guilt and the shame spiral afterwards, which creates the identity of I'm a failure, I'm bad, which leads to more coping mechanisms, you know, more like desire to cope. So it's yeah, kind of it, like really cyclical thing. It's this downward spiral that you find yourself in, right? And it's totally, just yeah. And your- like, and so, so sorry, nope. but like, if I could just say it so, so simply, self-sabotage is really just a mechanism of having low self-worth. Like, remember with your dog, you love your dog so much, you're not going to sabotage him. What if we just loved ourselves so much that we didn't sabotage? True, true. Yes, yes, absolutely. Now, um, how do we, how do we break an all or nothing perfectionistic approach to healthy living, fitness, losing weight. I mean, I, I see this a lot with people um, who, who think, well, I either go full out. Yeah. And if I can't do that, then I won't do it at all type of thing, you know? Totally. Yeah. And the all or nunners or the perfectionists are my favorite type of people to work with because that was me. And and I still have elements of that in my life, of course, but you know, what perfectionism really is, is, is just this desire to return back to like acceptance, like, and not just acceptance from you, but acceptance from everybody else. So, um, this is getting like a little too deep, but like when we don't have attachment growing up, like we will like strive for perfection because we think that's what's making us like valuable. Like it's kind of like tying your worth to your weight or your work to your worth to your performance, your worth to your work. I love the all or nunners. Um, and the reality is with the all or none type of people is that like, how is that working for you? Like it doesn't work because you're either on or off and we don't live in this very black and white world. We live in this world where there's like a variety of colors and spectrums and moods and, and there's duality and everything. And so when people who are of that all or none mindset, if they want to find freedom, they have to actually get really comfortable with things not being perfect. It's like we need to focus on progress and not perfection because as long as we're rooting for perfection, you're never going to have what you want. Like, because no, nothing's ever going to be perfect. And so mm-hmm. I see this show up a lot with my clients who are like, oh, okay, well, like I've already ruined the day. I may as well just like eat whatever I want and then start again on Monday. And like, how many times have you said to yourself, I'm going to start again on Monday? And if that worked, like you'd never have to say it again. You'd never have to start again. So stop saying that to yourself, right? Like the all or none is really just like a cognitive distortion that keeps you stuck in these cycles. And when we can break that, when we can actually like bring a little bit of neutrality into our day and what that might look like is like, okay, so you've overindulged. Can we overindulge and also go for a walk after? Or does it have to be well, I overate. And so now I just may as well sit on the couch and like my whole day is gone and continue eating. Right. So there's little things like actions that we can take to bring neutrality, to get out of the all or none, 
But at the end of the day, if you're stuck in those cycles, like I would say, how's it working for you? Because it doesn't work ever. Like long-term, it's just not viable. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love your example of, you know, kind of, yeah, having, having that sweet treat and then just um, kind of giving up and saying, okay, yeah, my day is ruined. I had, didn't follow my plan and now I'm going to uh, just spiral downwards even more and not, uh, not do anything for myself or my health. Right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, mindset is just a central uh, factor in your messaging. And of course, I mean, 80% or even 90% of anything we do or want to achieve uh, comes from mindset, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how does the subconscious mind factor into the weight loss equation? Yeah. So the subconscious mind is where we have all of our like habits. It's all of our autopilot behaviors. And so it actually is where we spend about 98% of our day or 95, depending on who you're talking to. Um, and so the conscious part of our brains, we have subconscious and conscious brain. The conscious part of our brain is like what makes us human. Like that's where, you know, my favorite color of paint is pink. Yours is blue. That's where we have like our preferences our goals our dreams. Um, and, but the subconscious part of the brain where we are there, 98% of our day is where all of our autopilot behaviors happen, our habits, et cetera. And the subconscious mind is really developed like up until the age of seven, and if you're going to change your subconscious after that time, you have to actually intentionally go in and do it. Like, it's not just like you're going to wake up and have a different subconscious programming. Like, that's not how the brain works. And the brain does this specifically to survive. So um, for the first seven years of your life, you're basically watching the people around you to understand, like, what's important, what's not, where are the threats. Um, and the brain develops these programs. And they live, like, very deep-rooted. And so the subconscious part of your brain is where your habits are, right? But the conscious part of your brain is where your goals are. So if you have a goal, like I want to lose weight, I want to be a millionaire, I want to, whatever, do X, Y, and Z, but your behaviors are on a completely different program. That's a really clear sign that like your subconscious and conscious mind are not quite equated. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so your subconscious part of the brain um, is also where we have all of our automatic behaviors and our automatic behaviors. If you think about the autonomic nervous system, which is just like the automatic nervous system, this is like where we don't have to consciously think about things. So you don't have to think about your heart beating. You don't have to think about your stomach digesting. It just does these things. Well, the drive to engage in eating behavior comes from that automatic part. Um, because eating is related to our survival, the brain is already built in those mechanisms. So when the conscious brain tries to come in and it's like, uh-uh, only 100 calories of this, only 80 grams of protein of that, the subconscious part of the brain is like, I'm not getting what I, what I need. And therefore, food is going to be scarce. And therefore, it's actually going to increase eating behavior or increase cravings or increase desire to engage, like, in, to engage in having access to food because it wants to survive. And mm -hmm. so like if the subconscious brain is not wired in the same way the conscious brain is to follow your goals and your dreams, like you will continue to sabotage. Right, right, right. Uh, kind of turning the corner a little bit here. Yeah. What, what toxic language do we need to get rid of around food? I did an episode a while back and I encouraged people not to call foods, label foods as bad or good, but as power foods or pleasure foods. And I, uh, I encouraged them to, to kind of ditch the word diet as well and kind of adopt more of like use the term healthy lifestyle or whatever. But I mean, you might have some other toxic language that 
you encourage people to get rid of? Yeah, especially just with my demographic and like with my own history, this is going to be a funny one, but I actually really think we need to really stop telling ourselves that we're so hungry or we're starving and we're using like that verbiage because the reality is like there's actually probably never ever going to be a situation where you're going to be actually starving. Like it would take the average person today 90 days of no food to die of starvation. It used to be 30. Like that just tells you how much stores we have on our, ourselves now. Um, and so when we when we say things like we haven't eaten a meal in like a couple of hours and maybe we skipped a meal, like, oh my God, I'm starving, I'm starving, I'm starving. What we're really telling the brain is like, uh-oh, food is scarce. And then you're just going to overconsume. So I actually really don't like, I mean, of course, yeah, if we want to be like neutral about food, we, we can get, we can stop using the word diet, whatever, like that stuff is important too. But if you really want to change your overeating behavior, stop telling yourself you're so hungry or you're starving because you're just not. Well, can you tell the list, you have a brilliant test. Uh, I think you call it the broccoli test. Can yeah. you, <laughs> can you share that with them, please? Absolutely. So it's really important and it's very difficult to do on your own, but not really like as long as you're in tune with yourself, but um, it's really important that we are able to distinguish between true hunger and false hunger, like true hunger and craving. And so uh, one of the things that I give to my audience and I, it's actually quite helpful is to be able to really determine, is this true hunger or is this just a craving? Because if we hear a craving and we keep reinforcing it, it's going to keep coming back, you know? And so if we want to like make sure cravings don't come back, we have to stop reinforcing them. And um, we don't want to do it from a way of like, uh-uh, I can't eat. It's like restriction because that's going to make it speak louder. But we want to do it from a way of like, oh, am I really hungry right now? And so if you want to know if you're really hungry or if it's just a craving, you can do the broccoli test, which is just asking yourself, would I eat raw broccoli right now? And if the answer is no, then you're probably not hungry right? Like you're probably just craving something, especially if you're craving something specific. I want something salty. I want something sweet. Like that's a craving for sure. Um, and in that case, it's really just the brain being like, I want to feel better. I need to feel regulated. And there's so many other ways that we can do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I've been guilty of this and I, I have to catch myself time and time again, but I think many out there use the number on the scale to as a measurement of success or failure when it comes to you know their weight loss efforts how can we pay less attention to that number on the scale oh yeah i know oh my gosh if i could just like drill this into all of my clients heads because especially if you want to come at this like weight loss or health journey from a place of like, truly, I don't want to punish myself anymore. Like truly, I want to be my truest, healthiest version of myself and trusting that, of course, your body's going to balance out and let go of what it doesn't need. We want to come at it from that place. We're not cutting anything out. Like we're not cutting any food groups out. We're not over-exercising. So like weight loss in the beginning is actually quite slow, right? And it's so difficult for my like beautiful clients and my audience when, you know, they're working so hard to like heal their relationship to food and, and know when they're hungry, you know, when they're not, and then they step on the scale and they like barely see it move. Right. And the interesting thing about this is that when we look at the scale and we're looking to the scale to validate how we should feel about ourselves, 
this is a really big problem because if you're like feeling good about yourself, you're like, yeah, like I'm so proud of myself. I'm not eating before bed anymore. Or, you know, I'm really listening to my hunger cues or I'm choosing healthier options. I'm so proud of myself. Yay me, yay me, yay me. And then you step on that scale and you see something you don't want to see. Like, doesn't that just make you feel bad about yourself again? Absolutely. And if we can, right. And if we can really all agree, and I hope we can at this point that like the body follows the mind without the mind, without the brain, there is no, nothing happens in the body, like mm -hmm. the body. Right. And so if we're, the brain is feeling really good and then we step on the scale and we have, a, and it makes us feel bad about ourselves, like the body's going to pick up on that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's really about keeping your mental health, like so, and your, your mindset so on par where we want to feel so good about ourselves that the number on the scale really doesn't matter because it is going to fluctuate. There are mm -hmm. so many things, especially for women that impact the number on the scale. I swear in one day I can go up like seven and up and down seven pounds. Right. And so if I look at the scale at seven pounds higher and I'm, I tell myself a story about it, like I'm only going to manifest what I don't want. I'm only going to create behaviors that match the identity of like, I've just gained weight. And so the way that I do this with my clients is that first of all, we should never, ever, ever, ever be stepping on the scale more than once a week. And if you can avoid it once a week, I would say that too. Like once a month is great. Um, because at the end of the day, like it's just your gravitational pull. And if you want to, but I also do believe in having like metrics and following, um, and following trends, because I think that body dysmorphia is such a real thing. And I have mm -hmm. a client who um, lost so much weight, but she had, she didn't want to weigh herself ever. So we had no starting point. And so when she had a bad body image day, she would like, it would be like as if she never lost the weight at all. And so I do think that like friend, if you can be neutral about it is important just so you know, kind of where you're at. But you want to step on the scale from a place of neutrality. And it's kind of like investing money. Like when you make investments, when the, you know, when the, the market is down, you don't just pull everything, right? You like, you follow the trend. And so like with your weight, you want to just kind of follow the trend. And if we're trending in the right direction, then like everything is fine. Right. And if you, if you can look back and say, good, I followed uh, certain healthy habits, uh, the day before, if you if you just kind of go want to go at it from a day to day perspective, right? And and you just say, okay, good. I I, I follow these healthy uh, habits yesterday. I can be proud of myself. Just don't step step on the scale for validation. Just know in your heart, you did what you wanted to do for your health. Absolutely, because and as if you can like rewire, which is like what I do, right? Rewire the brain for weight loss, or like transform the brain so that weight loss is effortless. Like you have to, the thing you need to work on is the mindset. And if you're going to step on the scale and let that like completely make you spiral, then like you're, it's just working against you, mm -hmm. you know? And so like, eventually, if you keep the mindset in a place where it's like every day and every way I'm getting better and better, eventually the body is going to follow that. You just have to like be patient with it. And I, and I totally believe that like a lot of times clients, when they're feeling really good at the, about themselves, they'll be like, let me check to see how good I should feel about myself. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. Or they've had a big meal and they're like, oh my gosh, let me check to see how much weight I've gained. Like it takes a surplus of 3,500 calories of seven to 10 days for you to actually build a new fat cell. More often than not, when the weight's fluctuating like day by day, like pounds up, pounds down, that's just inflammation. It's water retention. It's not even weight. And you're freaking out about it. So just like, don't step on the scale if you're not going to be neutral about it. Oh, I, I, I love uh, what you just said about what it takes to actually build 
that extra weight. And it's like you said, it's probably just weight gain, inflammation, a uh, number of other things. I mean, women have a whole uh, plethora of, of things that could factor in there, right? Totally. Um, so just before we wrap this up, I, I there are three uh, quotes of yours. And I wonder if you could just give us a bit of insight, because I think um, they're, they're so impactful and, and your message uh, or explanation around them will definitely be uh, wonderful to hear. The first one is you are what you eat. Yeah, I actually, it's so funny because everybody's heard that quote, but I actually look at it differently. I, I actually don't think you are what you eat. I think you are what you, you, I think you are what you think you eat, right? Mm -hmm. Like I think, mm -hmm. and, and so what that really becomes is that, you know, and there's been so many studies on this, but if you think you're eating something bad, it's going to be bad because you're telling your body what to do with that, right? Mm -hmm. If you think you're eating something good, it's going to be good because you're telling your body what to do with that. So it's not you are what you eat, it's you are what you think you're eating um, and what you think about what you're eating, right? And so it, it less becomes that like, and this is how there are people, and I, I, I encourage you all to like close your eyes and think about one person in your life who can eat whatever they want and they never gain a single pound. And I can tell you right now that that person, when they like eat something, overeat or whatever, they're not like, oh no, I'm going to gain so much weight. They just, they're like, oh, that was good. Like now I'm full, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really about like what you think about what you're eating. Um, and if you can change the way that you think about what you're eating, then you can change your entire reality. Perfect. Perfect. The next quote is, if you feel out of control around food, it's a sign you have too much control around food. Oh, this is a good one. And this kind of relates back to perfectionism. Mm -hmm. When I was little, my parent, my mom used to always call me a ticking time bomb. She would like, explode. And so I like to explain this one, if we can all just imagine a time bomb, right? Or like a bomb, right? A bomb can explode. It can lose control because it's under so much pressure. If we take the pressure off and we just let the energy flow, there's no potential for it to lose control. There's no potential for explosion. And so when we are trying to have, when we have so much control around food, it actually leads to the potential of loss of control. We can just take away that like pressure, that judgment around what am I eating? What am I not eating? We just take that all away. We can allow the energy to flow freely. And then there is really no loss of control. Right. Right. Awesome. And the last one, do you, do you do not find a happy life? You make it. Yeah. And I, like still so kind of rooted in perfectionism. I find that so many people are really focused on the end goal. You know, it's like, I want to lose 50 pounds or I want to like move into a new home or whatever it is. And everything that is not that one single instant where you get what you want is not going to be like, you're not going to enjoy it because you're just focusing on what you don't have. My clients want to lose, when my clients want to lose 50 pounds, like every day, if they're like, well, I'm not, I haven't lost 50 pounds yet. I haven't lost 50 pounds yet, but you've lost 10 pounds, but you've lost 15 pounds. So this is really about falling in love with the journey. Um, and if you can fall in love with the journey every day in every way, I'm getting better and better then it actually doesn't matter what the end goal is because if we always focus on the end goal, we'll only really be happy for like a second. 
It's like you finish up, you know, when you do a puzzle, it's like every day you put a piece of puzzle together and then like all of a sudden it's done. And then what do you do after it's done? You start a new puzzle, you know? And right. so it's, it becomes less about having the, the, the finishing thing. Like it becomes less about like the outcome and more about the process. And mm -hmm. that's what I'm talking about. Like when you create a happy life, it's about really finding those moments in every single day to fall in love with the process so that you're always happy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I love that message. Um, you have shared, I mean, so many golden nuggets with, with us today. Is there one piece of advice you'd like everyone to take away from our conversation today? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that it's just, if you are, if, if you are, or if you're not struggling with your relationship to food, food is the most important relationship that we're ever going to have because it's our relationship to our survival. And so I think I just want you guys all to know that like wherever you are on your like food psychology or food freedom journey, that you're, it's never too late. You know, I remember being in a place where I was like, I'm too far gone. It's you're never too far gone. Right. And you can always start to like do the work to love yourself, um, which will lead to so many other beautiful outcomes and, um, your behaviors and your relationships um, moving forward. So, yeah. Uh, I love that, Jordana. I mean, it's never too late to start loving yourself and begin a new journey that you'd like to embark on, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how can people connect with you, dive into your world, find out more about you and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So I also have a podcast and that's a really good place to start. Um, so it's called the head to heal podcast, but, um, and you can find all of my links on my Instagram. I'm not a super like techie person, but I do, I do use Instagram. So that would be like the best place to find me. Um, I'm sure you'll, you can put all my links there, but it's just my name at Jordana Sade. I also have a website and on my website, you'll find a bunch of freebies. So like we do a free weight loss hypnosis, we do a free ebook. Um, and that's a really good way to kind of like get into my world and consume some of this information. Um, I also offer like free discovery calls or consultations. If you feel that like this, you would want to work on your relationship to food, but there's so many free resources. Um, even just being in my network, like every day I'm talking about this. So I'd love to, I'd love to meet you, say hi. And yeah, just thank you so, so much for having me. Well, thank you from the bottom of my heart, Jordana, for sharing your tips, your strategies, experiences, and all the valuable information to the listeners on the topic of, I'm going to say weight loss, but more of a health journey. Uh, you, you are a great example of how people can change their mindset around food and eating to reach their goals. And it was an absolute pleasure and honor to speak with you today. Oh, thank you so much. And that's a wrap for today's show, friends. If you'd like to go over today's show and get all of the links to connect with Jordana Sade, go to the show notes on my website, inspirationtogrow.com. That's with a digit two. My hope is that you start to implement some of the ideas, the tips, the strategies that Jordana shared with us today. And I would love to know which ones have been beneficial for you personally. 
I would also like to invite you to become part of the Inspiration to Grow community on Facebook. The group name is Inspiration to Grow. That's with the digit two for female goal getters. It's meant to be a community of like-minded women who want to grow strong from the inside out. There will be journaling prompts, nutrition and fitness tips, exercises to try, encouraging conversations among the community and much more. So take a moment, go on over there, have a look at it and join the group for support for new ideas and the necessary rocket fuel to propel your health and wellness to new heights. You owe it to yourself to take care of yourself, to show up for yourself and be the best version of you. And in case you haven't heard it yet today, well, let me be the first to tell you, you're incredible, you're beautiful, and your potential is limitless. I believe in you 100%. Now go out there and show the world what you are truly made of. On behalf of Jordana Sade, my guest in today's show, and myself, we hope to have inspired you to grow. Till next time. Thank you.